Welcome to the BG Podcast, conversations at the intersection of business, community, and public policy from the Austin metro and around Texas. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and on iTunes and Google Play. Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and our guest today is Renee Lara, the Legislative Director for the AFL-CIO Texas uh, Chapter. Welcome to the show, Renee. Thank you for inviting me, AJ. We were talking a little bit before the show, Renee, and I know we've known each other for, I mean, several, I think my whole, my whole career at the Capitol. I mean, I've been, we've been, I've been in the lobby sector for uh, almost it'll be 10 years in June, uh, but I started as a staffer. I think I met you. You were on a panel for, uh, for new staffers about the do's and don'ts uh, of uh, Capital Life. <laughs> That's right. I enjoyed yeah. doing that. Yeah. I wish that someone had told me when I first started what not to do. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I know you don't have any additions to the book out running right now, but I want to talk at the top about your, the book you had out and kind of went to that and just like talk, just give us some details on that. Sure. Uh, I uh, wrote a book called uh, Capital Tips, mm-hmm. the, kind of a pocketbook of suggestions and um, advice about working at the Capitol and it tracks the legislative session from the first 30 days, first 60 days um, on towards the end. Uh, so it's kind of in a chronological order, um, tells you what to anticipate, things to do, mm-hmm. expect at committee hearings, what's important about meeting people at the Capitol, things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think, and I, what, I liked, what I enjoyed about the book, I remember uh, going to the uh, launch party for it was, I mean, there's some practical tips, the things that are, Related to the process of being a staffer, but then also kind of the not unwritten rules, right? But just I mean, how to conduct yourself professionally or the capital too, um, and things you know, you kind of maybe hopefully if you have a good chief of staff, they get imparted to you by them, him or her, um, but never really you know, we kind of learn kind of from people who came before you for better or worse sometimes. That's right, right? As we've both seen. <laughs> And I've been there long enough that I've picked up a few things. So right. <laughs> I just wanted to share with, you know, people who are just starting out. Yeah. And you still, I mean, occasionally you post some of those tips. Um, on my Facebook on page. Facebook page, right. Yeah. So we'll put that in the show notes for those who want to follow you there. Okay. Um, I think they're still useful as well. And I like the fact that you post them. They tend to be sometimes, they coincide, with, they're contemporaneous rather with the issues that are popping up. So, well, you know, it's, it's interesting to see. That's right. Well, thank you for... Noting that. Well, great. So as we said, uh, Renee Laura is with the AFL-CIO. And for those who aren't familiar with the AFL-CIO, uh, give us a you know, quick up background what that is. Well, who they are. just very briefly, um, we are a federation of uh, labor unions in the state of Texas. And we're affiliated with the national AFL-CIO, um, which represents workers, working people in both the private sector and the public sector. And... Um, all kinds of industries. Um, we have teachers who are affiliated with us. We have uh, oil refinery workers. We have um, actors, actresses, communications workers, electricians, plumbers, um, just almost every kind of industry that you can imagine. Um, we have um, members in unions that are affiliated with us. And we number about 250, 240,000 um, members within those affiliated unions mm-hmm. just in texas just in texas and people i think you know there's i mean texas is a business friendly state and I, and I think a lot of times you hear from some more kind of uh you know statewide elected officials about 
about that. I mean, and we know just from the numbers of business businesses coming here for those reasons, like the environment is good for business, right? For companies. Um, and it's not really known as being a, you know, a union friendly state policy wise, right? That's so right. I'm sure it keeps you all busy. Oh yeah. Well, <clears throat> that makes it challenging, but you know, workers just like businesses, um, join together in chambers of commerce and advocate for their positions and their interest at city hall or at the state capitol or in Congress, we do the same mm-hmm. for working people who join together and watch out for the interest. Um, and it's all really not that complicated. People care about their health insurance, about um, other benefits like pensions, retirement, um, and their salaries, wages, mm-hmm. uh, and their working conditions. So pretty much most of what we do falls under that rubric. Um, we, of course, are... Uh, the members of our affiliates are also consumers, and so we watch out for them in terms of com- consumer issues at the state capitol, um, and <clears throat> and so we're probably involved in almost every major uh, topic that you know we encounter um, when we lobby at the state capitol. Mm-hmm. And you know, one of the reasons uh, you came to mind as a guest was there was some recent, uh, I think about a week ago, there was a recent case out of California. I think it was California, but it was Kickstarter, with Kickstarter mm-hmm. um, and their employees had unionized. That was apparently, at least according to the article, the first time you had tech employees, not, con- not contractors, we'll get to that too, but employees who have unionized, right? And coming to, coming to the table now with, uh, with Kickstarter's executive or their management team. Um, I think that there's, we'll post the link uh, in the show notes, but it was around just, it wasn't working conditions per se, it was more around some of the company's policies, human resources, human resources policies and such, um, which is a interesting, top, interesting topic to me as Austin, particularly as the amount of, as a tech presence grows here. I mean, it's been growing, but in terms of the major hubs that are, hap- are being planned here outside of California, you have Apple that's expanding. I mean, the campus, the Apple campus here was already the largest presence outside of Cupertino, and now they're expanding that more. We have Google's headquarters, um, Rising you know, just a block from our office here, and a number of other tech companies that are you know having a major presence here, and particularly consumer facing companies. Um, you know these aren't like if it's it's not a just a random not a random company but a, a no name company that's in the tech space but no one's ever heard of right. It's it is these are all I can think of a Kickstarter example is a company that we all know like mom and dad knows what Kickstarter is right, and they're in probably. The leverage of a of a you know of a United Work United Workers the fact that the company needs that community engagement right so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Well, I think <clears throat> you're right. It is um, very interesting because uh, tech, the gig economy, um, everything surrounding uh, new companies that use uh, new technology such as artificial intelligence, digital platforms, things like that. They're considered new um, industries are encountering that they have old-style labor issues. Um, In the case of Kickstarter, there was concern about equitable pay, diversity, Mm -hmm. hiring, um, and then in a lot of um, the industries, because the workforce is so much younger, um, they, while they don't, are not yet concerned about issues like pensions, um, although IBM encountered that, uh, those workers encountered that issue, um, you know, a couple of decades ago. 
but the new ones uh, are dealing more with issues like sexual harassment and um, diversity issues, etc. Um, sooner or later, they will also be concerned about health insurance, uh, for example, and which is one of the big issues around which providing uh, health insurance or the access to um, affordable health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, it, of course, that is a national issue as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know. We'll get to that too <laughs> and, and shortly. And then on the eve of a coronavirus uh, you know, the pandemic, I think people are very aware of the issues surrounding health insurance and how mm-hmm. that might impact them. But in the case of Kickstarter, um, they have broken new ground in that uh, it is a new, econ- new economy company. And it was, um, they organized and they applied for um, recognition under the National Labor, Labor Relations Board. Uh, is, that affiliated, that, is that affiliated with the AFL-CIO? That is the federal government that actually um, uh, polices the uh, collective bargaining applications of okay. companies. And um, so the gig economy here in Austin, well, it's, it has a big presence. Um, Economy-wide, only represents around 1%, uh, maybe a little bit over that now, but uh, it is a rapidly growing sector. Of we're, ta- we're talking um, favor, um, yes. All anything to do with like Uber, Lyft. Handy.com, Uber, Lyft, favor, um, um, companies like that. Mm-hmm. And just, are you seeing any trends? So, I mean, this first, you know, this, this issue broke um, with Kickstarter, but... Just was there any? And it, it, this was the first time you know he had a tech company employees that unionized this way. Uh, do you just kind of professionally talking to your colleagues? You know, maybe your field, your um, across the country um, and even in the state too. Do you see ripples of that happening here in Texas? Well, well I guess what happened just within the companies, right? But given those companies have a you know big tech, if you will, has. Presence. I mean, really here in Dallas too. A lot of companies in the area are moving out there as well. The met- yeah, uh, Metroplex. You mentioned uh, you mentioned the uh, folks who walked out at Google, mm-hmm. and so there were issues around um, uh, also equitable uh, pay and um, sexual harassment issues and the treatment of people who filed complaints um, like that. Um, that has happened across many different industries. There was mm-hmm. a walkout. Um, there was, um, I don't think, a follow-up on unionizing, although I think they had uh, one or two groups of contractors that did uh, try to unionize for companies that um, contracted with uh, Google or Microsoft. These are um, big corporations. We had a uh, instance several sessions ago now when um, I think even Yahoo was still you know, big in tech world. Just to just to uh, kind of timestamp this uh, this, uh, <laughs> this recording. So Yahoo, and this, they're still around. They were um, for a time the dominant uh, the dominant uh, search engine, right? That's right. And then and then uh, you know, so a few <laughs> decades from now, if you were listening to this, Yahoo was a search engine. And, That's right. Yeah. Right after AOL. <laughs> yeah. Right after, right after AOL. Yeah. Or LiFo. Um, or <laughs> and I remember there was a bill that was filed that at the time it was presented. It was a pro-worker um, bill, and it would have prohibited companies, any company, from requiring a an applicant for uh, work or a current worker to be required to give up their password to the company. You'd be required to give your password up. 
That's company. right. And they like were, a social media password exactly, or any password. Exactly. And, and so the idea was that they, we wouldn't want your employer to um, have access to your social media, for example. Yeah. And this was before you could like, you know, choose what you could post on Facebook, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and we thought that the uh, companies, social media companies, and any you know digital company would have uh, supported that bill because it was uh, designed to protect the consumer um, as well. But as it turned out, um, the uh, the tech companies were thinking of themselves as employers, and they themselves did not want to be restricted in what they required of their employees. And so <clears throat> when, when you deal with um, issues of big tech, you have to understand that they're not necessarily thinking um, from the perspective of the consumer's uh, benefit, they're thinking of themselves as employers and as um, people who have to respond to their shareholders and are looking for a profit. Yeah, like a major for-profit company. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, um, I think that most recently you've had some of the uh, social media actors um, and some of these companies say, look, we are in favor of some type of regulation to even the playing field and to... I think Mark Zuckerberg said that last week. Protect, right? protect ourselves from ourselves, you know, or society. Um, even trying to get ahead of, I mean, something, I, you think something's coming. I mean, I mean, that like just... You kind of see the the, the cloud, the storm clouds coming, right? Because if Zuckerberg is saying it publicly, I mean, that was that was I think a few weeks or months after. I think one of his original co-founders had all said, you know, I think outright said, you need you need to break Facebook up or that's right. The, the and you know what? I think that's a smart thing mm-hmm. that they did because um, because the potential backlash could be yeah. something that they don't want. We have data privacy. I mean, I'm looping at data privacy, right? We have the, the Law got passed in California. We see what happened in the EU with their data, data privacy laws. I know that's on. I know at least it's on our. It's on a few interim charges. Or the, I see data and privacy come up on a few interim charges that were released to like what in the fall in the House and the Senate here in Texas. And I'm sure there are several bills. You know, most most states have sessions that are going on right now. I'm sure a lot of states are dealing with this, and I probably have no doubt that you know once we get through this next election cycle. Depending, well, depending is off. Even actually, either way, you'll probably see some more. Uh, well, I think if a Democrat wins, we'll probably see more, more potential more restrictions on uh, on tech potentially. And it could be that it's uh, tech them, you know, that is more regulation, right? I guess more established regulation than than not. If uh, like if Sanders wins, it's making making speculation, not no uh, endorsements or anything. Well. Um, but we, the National AFL-CIO, has not made an endorsement on the presidential election. Let's get to that, but yeah. That is a good example of what a potential backlash is. You know, there's... Um, if Sanders gets elected, or someone, if a D gets elected, a Democrat or... Yeah, ahead. and, um, uh, you know, when the pendulum swings too far to one side, then there's a uh, tendency to want to go all the way to the other side. And um, so, I guess, be careful what you ask for. You know, you could get everything you want, but it the long run, you could be creating a potential backlash. Um, and this happens in politics, happens in the world of policy making, it happens in business. Um, and so it's probably a very smart thing uh, for uh, big tech companies to be looking at what solution would they prefer that is fair to everyone um, that addresses some of the uh, excesses in terms of you know whether 
it's data mining, whether it's selling of private information, um, even you know just any other potential um, problems with uh, privacy breaches, um, so or security. Yeah, which is a cybersecurity. That's a, that's a continual issue. I know um, with every major, with any state, with any local government too. There are a few. I mean, there have been some examples this last, at least in like in twenty nineteen. I think that just cyber attacks are on the rise. I mean, they're always on the rise, but there are some cities that basically got shut down. I forgot. I forgot the exact city. It was like a major city, but it was one that it was a name name brand city that there are some issues with cyber attacks there that really just blocked off a lot of services for like a short time. That, that is something that um, we are concerned about because say for example, a, um, a facility like an oil refinery is mm-hmm. considered an essential kind of critical um, <clears throat> uh, industry for just basic security. And the um, security surrounding those facilities is extremely important. Um, the physical security. Our oil, yeah. yeah, our oil refinery workers. We also have people we represent, the International Brotherhood of Electricians, um, electrician workers. They represent people in um, uh, uh, utilities. And so those could be at risk if there's um, you know a, any cyber attack on those facilities mm-hmm. to shut them down or otherwise. Um, we used to have nuclear... Uh, a lot of nuclear facility uh, workers, that industry has not grown um, as much, but that's also another example of some, you know, a place that you want to be secure and free from any potential cyber attacks from, you know, a nation state or any rogue, you know, uh, computer hacker out there. Mm-hmm. Coming back to the presidential election, so, so, this, so no, no, um, no endorsements have been made yet. Y'all, what, what are your kind of three big, well, go ahead. In, in the absence of a two-thirds endorsement from our executive board, then every um, union affiliate nationwide is free to um, endorse a presidential candidate. And the state affiliates, have, you mean, or like so Texas <coughs> U- AFL-CIO? The national or? affiliates like the American Federation of Teachers or the um, United Steelworkers, uh, uh, AFSCME, uh, yeah. The IBW, any one of these affiliates can choose to endorse uh, somebody if our executive council has not mm-hmm. done that. And it has been the case. We do the same thing at the state level. Yeah. Texas AFL-CIO endorses in, uh, in instances of, like, say, U.S. Senate or uh, Congress or state legislators. Yeah. Is there any... Um, so right now, the Texas AFL-CIO hasn't endorsed anyone yet? Or have y'all... I've kept them with yeah, the Well, we can't endorse anyone at the presidential level, but the individual union gotcha. affiliates. I got you. That are, um, yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, we're, um, what, a week out from Super Tuesday, and this is uh, February 26th we're recording. So we, um, you know, I missed, I missed last night's debate. I'm kind of catching up with my Politico friends on Facebook, what's going on with it. But uh, yeah, there's no, at least on the dim side, yeah, on the dim side, there's no, uh, clear kind of front runner it seems so I think Texas is going to be and I also saw yesterday that our these primary votes on both sides is up here in the state for D's and R's so it's going to be interesting to see how that turns out and you know how much we have I mean I think Texas is going to have a major sway yeah. in that and then South Carolina particularly with yeah, kind of the, Af- the, Af- the African American vote I think is a big part of whoever wants to be contender or will be the you know, overall winner of the Democratic primary they need that 
for sure. I think um, I've, I've had a few friends in Austin this last week talk about that just in social media. Just that's a critical part, right? And I don't think just you know, just as an African American, I have been kind of doing my informal polling with my African American family. I know we're split four, four different ways and we're voting for right. So it just and that's like, we had the United Range from a twenty eight year old. My brother to myself, 36, my parents are their mid, late 60s, right? A wide, a wide range of uh, black America there, I think, and like, we're just kind of split and we're voting for on that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting. Well, um, it's, all, it's all interesting. Yeah, it's way. all very interesting. We do not, um, we support anyone in either party who supports our issues. And, um, and so we base our endorsements on that. And we have questionnaires and we have screenings um, where we interview the candidates and we ask them specifically um, do we support candidates sometimes in the individual primary elections in both the Democratic and the Republican um, side. Um, it just so happens currently that um, in Texas right now, um, most, uh, you know, most of our support is uh, does go to the Democrats, mm -hmm. but we do have um, a substantial Republican um, list of endorsements that we make. So, you know, we're not um, restricted in our partisanship, um, but we do focus on the issues that, that we care about. And again, those are health insurance, retirement, wages, um, consumer issues, and, you know, I mean, who doesn't want to live a long and prosperous, secure life in the retirement, um, that comes sooner than you expect. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> nowadays with a, a you know, longer life expectancy, you could be in a retirement uh, stage for quite a long time. And if your assets are not sufficient to carry you through that, then you're in serious trouble. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I think about that now. I'm like, <laughs> like, well, I mean, you know, the firm we're in three, we hit three years in April, but how fast time flies! Exactly. And like, oh, I mean, just I saw some quote the other day. Like, it's the same. Like right now, it's the same amount of time from 1990 as it's 2050. You're like, Shit. exactly. Um, right. Also, if you're a young person, I mean, um, you want your parents to be to have a secure retirement. Yeah, and to have I mean, I think about that now too, right? Like you know? what's their, what's their, you know, we're all, they're, they're very blessed, they're very healthy, very fit. And like, what does the next 30 years look for them? I mean, you know, I'll be 60 in 30 years and then it'll be 90, 30, late 90s, 30 years. And there's like, they, with healthcare and the else right now, there's a good chance that they'll be around that time. Exactly. So what does that look like then? And the whole now family, I might be retired. <laughs> the whole family shares the burden, you know, yeah. whatever it is that the cost is. Uh, a lot of young uh, members in our movement are people, young people who have a lot of student loan debt. Yeah. And that's preventing them from buying a house, from starting their business. Um, it, um, is, student loan debt was not nearly as big of a problem several decades ago, but it's ballooned into a huge problem. And then if you can't make ends meet, a lot of um, folks end up going, having to resort to uh, payday lenders and the interest rates charged on those, um, you know, so we see a lot of our membership having to deal with situations like that where they end up um, uh, paying more in interest than they should or that, you know, anyway, so the burdens are many mm -hmm. and the solutions to that problem, um, you know, that's what we, 
thing that we are working on uh, and advocating for. And it's not easy because obviously, you know, the forces arrayed against um, working people from our perspective are um, very strong uh, in this state. And, you know, if the, <clears throat> if the economy is out of balance and workers uh, feel so burdened, they, I think that's what causes them to look for solutions that they wouldn't otherwise um, look towards. And um, that will be reflected and is currently being reflected in the choice of candidates that we have. Mm -hmm. Come back on the tech side, are there any, because I think that I just foresee that becoming a more rising issue of, like, I think Kickstarter, that whole thing, is, you know, one ripple almost going to become um, potentially more, we'll see more of that down the road, right, in the near term. What's your thoughts, though, and just, are there any working groups or things, like, do you, do you all work with companies that, you know, kind of on the proactive side that are looking to, like, if you see this is happening with Kickstarter, okay, so it's a new thing, right, in the this, in this sector anyway. How do you best prepare for it? It's like because it's almost was like the the black swan event, right? Like, no one, you know, there wasn't a black swan until you saw one. Now all of a sudden, it's here, and once that door is opened, you've seen, you know, the walkouts and so on, or like little precursors of that. But something's going to come, and something's going to like a, a wave, right? And particularly depending on who wins the election, um, you know, who's a front runner right now. Like those things. Basically, my point is: is there? If I was, you know, if I was a CEO of a company, and I, you know, I'm seeing this in the paper with Kickstarter, for example, and, you know, I could pretend like this couldn't happen to me, right? But if it happened with them, you know, it could happen with any company that's consumer-facing especially. How would they work with AFC? Can they work, you know, with well, the groups like yours to figure out policies ahead of time yes. versus being basically not being caught on their heels? Exactly. Well, that's a good question. And so let's look at, you know, kind of like the root of the problem. Um, so if um, we look at uh, big tech companies or small tech companies um, as companies that are working with technology that to create, uh, to innovate and uh, create a business in a manner that wouldn't be even thought of like through traditional means. Mm -hmm. An innovative company that creates uh, prosperity because of the innovation. That happens um, quite a bit. But in many cases, unfortunately, the reason a company uh, in tech or any other place is creating um, wealth for its shareholders is not the innovation. It's the fact that they are um, taking away the traditional benefits that the employers have or reducing their wages in some ways or not making what, you know, um, current or I guess, middle-class wages available to their employees. Let me give you an example. So in Texas, um, we fought a rule at the Texas Workforce Commission last year that would misclassify, in our, from our perspective, it would um, <clears throat> legalize the classification of employees as independent contractors. And this is actually not a new issue. It's a very kind of old issue, especially in Texas, especially in the construction industry, where a company uh, treats an, a person as an employee but classifies them as an independent contractor in order to avoid paying uh, benefits such as unemployment insurance, or workers' compensation, or vacation, or days, or paid sick leave days. Um, so if a company is making, saving money by not providing those benefits, then that's not real really innovation. That's kind of an old uh, 
um, practice. Mm -hmm. um, and so what happens is, you know, these um, workers are then kind of, um, you know, they're part of an economy that is felt like they're not being represented. So we, <clears throat> we fought this rule change. It eventually became law last um, year. Um, so that, that rule prevailed or did it was it prevailed and so um, there any digitally based company will be able to designate their employees as marketplace contractors which is an independent contractor in the same way that an Uber or Lyft employee um, is designated by statute that, that happened two sessions ago um, we're opposed to that because you know when you do that you are creating wealth at the expense of the employee, not because of innovation. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so if you don't want, um, and so, you know, in that case, obviously the employees won't unionize, but the, you know, there will be uh, resentment and, you know, that will express itself in, um, you know, different ways, especially in the political uh, scene. Um, at any rate, so, well, quick, I think, that's a good yeah. point because it, it ties into, you know, right, right now I know they're like Texas, just Texas and South Carolina were just designated battleground states by the DNC. And prior to that, there were several organizations that were already within Texas that were, you know, on the, on the Democratic side, progressive side, Annie's List and such that were, you know, I think right now what well, there's like there's a nine seat deficit that like the, the, the Dems win nine seats in the House anyway they flip the House to like 75, 72 or some majority would get majority and kind of tying into your you know kind of what we're talking about with the, the gig economy policy is you know it's you know it's almost like if I was a company right now is thinking about thing keeping that in mind because you know I'm sure while you're you're more you're issue based not partisan. If you know, I, I'm just making a guess that you probably have more overall ties right currently, right, with the Democratic leadership or Democratic Party in the House, for example. I'm making an assumption, right? Basically, like how are you know things like this can be can be can be switched, right? This kind of rules can be changed. Uh, not so much, not as extreme as what's happening in California, but it's just we're like this several seats. It's a slim margin of seats that can unwind some of these policies potentially come with a pendulum swinging back. And so when I think about being more proactive, proactive, right, is keeping that in mind for some of these companies that are in this space, because it's really dynamic right now. Mm -hmm. um, in looking at, you know, it's, it's not, it's not a, you know, a guarantee, and not even from the people, like the workers is impacting potentially, right, but just on the policy side, it's a slim margin that's keeping that, that policy in place. And, you know, I guess we'll have a better idea really in November, um, how it goes, you know, in Texas, right, but that could be it you know, it's only six months away or so, um, could usually change things. Well, I mean, if people perceive that there's a problem and it's not being addressed, then someone will come along and offer a solution. And that is what, you know, happens in politics mm -hmm. um, a lot of the times. There's another issue that is, um, um, I think, practically here, and that is the issue of automation. Um, yes. Um, so, but it's related because it's not just treating a worker... Uh, are providing workers less, fewer benefits, lower wages um, in a gig economy. Um, automation, robotics, artificial intelligence, what the push there is to completely replace the worker. 
And so, you know, workers out of a job completely. Um, and there, ha- there should be a societal um, plan to address the potential loss of lots of jobs. Um, so what happens or has happened in the past in, when there's been technological change, um, uh, such as like during the industrial age, for example, there eventually the economy has adjusted and work has been made available to you know people who are currently unemployed by whatever new technology uh, eliminated those jobs. But what happened is that there's a period of transition and during that period of transition, those people out of work are out of luck. Mm-hmm. And so if right now we're seeing a potential uh, dramatic shift in terms of what you know, uh, jobs look like and um, automation and artificial intelligence could replace many jobs all at once. And that could create a lot of displacement. And there's been studies on this. The Brookings Institution, the McKinsey Institute is looking at this. The International Labor Organization is looking at this. So, you know, you traditionally think of like waiters, cooks, cashiers, secretaries being replaced. Um, taxis. Paralegal. Taxis. Or, 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 or drivers, lift drivers. Receptionists. Um, but now, even more recently, there's talk about. Um, the fact that artificial intelligence could replace jobs that are considered um, uh, that are more, you know higher paying like white collar uh, white collar uh, jobs um, that could include uh, market research analysts, financial advisors, registered nurses, mechanics. Um, so you know if someone thinks that their job is secure or safe, um, you know they need to reconsider that. And so okay, so what happens? You're not going to resist technological innovation or technological change, it's going to happen. But what I think that policymakers can look for is a safety net Mm -hmm. for folks. Um, They can um, uh, provide for the transition, you know, however long it's estimated to be. And, um, you know, there could, there's a, there's a good, um, positive, uh, result that could um, that you know a world where workers could look at fewer working hours, for example, um, they could still have a job, but they don't have to work you know seventy hours a week. Um, or they could there could be more flexibility, more time, uh, family uh, time, paid leave uh, for that, more uh, paid sick days, etc. So, you know, I think companies, uh, shareholders. They can also look at the fact that you might want to avoid uh, mass displacement or unemployment because you know people who don't have a job don't have money to spend to buy the products that businesses offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so also there's protests know, and riots, especially yeah, yeah, <laughs> on the extreme. But so at any rate, there's yeah. lots of issues that I think policymakers at the state capital. Um, in city councils and the federal government can be looking at to address issues of technological change, um, big tech, etc. There's just so much to, you know, look into in that area. Yeah. Well, on that, Renee, I want to let, uh, thank you for your time and love to have you back on the show uh, in the future. And thank you for all the work you're doing. Thank Take you. Take care.
Thank you for listening to today's BG podcast. You can find this episode and prior recordings at www.binghamgp.com slash podcast and iTunes and Google Play. Subscribe to stay current on future posts.